Hey everybody, this is Michael Antonovich with Swap Moto Live. You're listening to the Fly Racing Swap Moto Podcast. Joining me this week is JGR Yoshimura Suzuki Factory racing rider Alex Martin. This has been a big off-season for Amart. Everybody knows kind of what's going on with JGR. Are they racing? Are they not? Who's their guy? The one person that's always been locked in, thanks to a two-year deal, is Amart. So now we've got Alex on the phone to kind of explain all that's going on how these last few weeks have been, and then, you know, what the status for 2020 is. So, hey, thanks for getting on the phone with me today. You're down in Florida already, done riding for the day? What's up, Anton? Yeah, um, just hanging out in Claremont, Florida. No riding today. Um, just enjoying this beautiful fall, although it's like 86-degree weather right now. So, Yeah. Have you had a bunch of hurricanes <laughs> this year, or is it not, has the weather been okay? Um, so we had Hurricane Dorian, which was around, I think, Labor Day weekend or mm-hmm. something. It wasn't really too bad. Um, it's kind of stayed off the coast, the Atlantic coast, so we didn't really get too much other than uh, maybe 35-mile-an-hour wind or something. But other than that, we haven't had much this year, so been pretty fortunate. Coming from a guy that grew up in Minnesota, how, like, you've understood severe storms and, like, hail and tornadoes and all that stuff. Is a tornado or is a hurricane that much different? Or just because you um, no. get to prep ahead of time? So we actually, my wife and I, we moved down here to Claremont, and right about, we were closing on our house when Hurricane Irma came through, and that was, that basically, the eye of the storm went right up through the center of Florida. Um, and it was, it was definitely pretty, pretty gnarly, I guess, for a hurricane, obviously, it was really gnarly, but for me, it didn't seem much worse than, like, the Midwest tornadoes that we had when I was growing up. So, I mean, maybe 105, 110-mile-an-hour wind and stuff, which isn't too much gnarlier than a tornado, but... It was definitely, like I, I kept saying, it was overhyped on the news media for sure. Yeah, that's that's always the funny thing too because I, I'm, like being a guy that grew up in St. Louis, especially in the wintertime, if we knew a big storm was coming, everybody would just raid the local grocery stores to where there was nothing on the shelf and then nothing would yeah. come. So I'd have to think in Florida it's the same thing. Everybody thinks we have a oh, seven-day yeah, lead sure. time for a hurricane. Let's go completely clear out Walmart and then not need any of that stuff. Yeah, I think more or less the news like definitely creates widespread panic for sure. But I mean, having said that, though, I will say if you are on the coast, I think you're, you know, you're in a lot more trouble for sure, mm-hmm. and you need to be a lot, definitely more careful and maybe evacuate just because it is pretty bad on the coast. But I think in Central Florida, for the most part, it's it's never too much for concern. Um, but yeah, there's definitely I think actually even for Hurricane Dorian, like it took me like 25 minutes to try and go get uh fill up my pickup truck full of gas because the wait was so long Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. so yeah always little things here and there this is what your second full year in florida now uh actually 17 18 19 would be my third year actually how do you like it i know a lot of people that are from the other side of the rockies really gravitate down there they feel like it's home way more than california ever did yeah i mean i like it i can't complain too much it's um, coming from Minnesota, I will say it's nice to have a really warm winter and it's nice for my job cause you can ride and train year round. And really though, it, it never hardly dipped into the forties, you know, last winter. So we really didn't even get a winter to be honest. It just felt kind of like a spring or faller. So, um, I do like it, but I will say, I don't think I'll, I'll stay down here once I'm done racing just because it is really miserable in the summer times. Yeah. I would I'd much prefer a Minnesota summer over, uh, Claremont, Florida, uh, summer for sure. So, yeah, it's definitely training related. 
yeah, for sure. Yeah. I could see myself being a snowbird, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I could see you being one of the retirement community guys, being like 32 years old in the 55 plus community, just hanging out. Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, hey, so let's before we get into everything going on for 2020, let's recap 2019. First year with a bike, um, a lot going on with that, so a big change. And yeah, there were some growing pains, especially at the start of the nationals. But you guys made major progress. So just talk about that a little bit. What was the big aha moment where you guys found the setup for the RMZ? Um, yeah, so it was it was interesting. This was really a, a learning year and taught me a lot. Um, I've never really been in a position to where we had a brand new bike coming with Suzuki. The 2019 Suzuki 250 was all new, new frame, new engine, all this stuff. So um, there was a lot of excitement around that just because it was immediately better than the 18 you know, and I think more competitive on all fronts. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of pros and cons with the new chassis, new setup. And I think in, we started right off the bat September. I think he, they even had Jimmy D out there in August last year, um, just putting the bike through its paces and, and chassis-wise trying to get it set up. And, and we basically, I think where we went wrong is we, we did all of our testing in Supercross, and the whole bike was dialed around Supercross. And, um, and, you know, and I thought, you know, Jimmy got a couple podiums and I was top five overall in the series East coast. So, I mean, I think for the most part, we did pretty good in super, uh, for supercross, but then come outdoors, it was just like, <laughs> um, we really struggled with stability on the bike and, and handling for sure. The first half of outdoors was, was, uh, no secret that it was a struggle, you know, and, and it was, it was a good learning experience, like I said, because I really had to just kind of with the team and Renee, Renee was huge and, and Johnny and the suspension guys, they really were good at trying to turn the ship around. And there were some things that we found with the chassis that were like, okay, you know, the bike needs to be longer and, and stability like that. And in the straightaways was an issue at the time when the bike was shorter. So, um, yeah, like I think my results towards the end of the season kind of showcase that even especially midway with, I think red bud Millville, I was basically on the podium, you know, four straight motos other than that DNF I had. Mm-hmm. first motor red bud which was a bummer but um no it was it was definitely a good learning experience just to have to take the reins of a new bike and, and kind of sh- take the pros and cons and try and go in a direction that we thought was ideal um and it's also hard to knowing that um i'm the only <laughs> besides kyle peters outdoors i was the only uh factory suzuki guy rider in the world <laughs> yeah. at that time and that was the nice thing about ktm and husky is they had um plenty of data from europe and and mxgps with hurling squirrel league prado and and there was kind of like this big pool that you could gather data from and make decisions and set your bike up for those situations um and so yeah with suzuki we didn't have that but we i still think we made a lot of progress and we in the end we kind of figured it out so and even honestly going forward i just spent a couple weeks up in charlotte riding and testing the bike again and the platform that we have now after one year of racing on it is 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 night and day above where we were last year at this time so that's exciting was it stressful to you for you to be for the first time in your career the chief test rider for something is it hard to not maybe chase yourself down a rabbit hole and be like i think we need to go this way and then unfortunately it doesn't work out kind of as we saw when you guys were having the you know power issues in the early part of the nationals um oh for sure i mean it's it's very um it's a very tough 
situation position to be in. And then I'll be the first to admit, like, I am not the greatest test rider. You know, um, I think testing is something that you kind of, it's like an acquired taste. You, you become more proficient at it as you get older and the more teams you're on and the more testing experience you, you get all kind of helps you become a better test rider. But, um, I, I struggled this year for sure, trying to sometimes re- relay what I was feeling and relay that to Johnny and Renee and the guys. And, um, sometimes you can, you know, get, go, go down the wrong road or give, give feedback that you think is right, but it ends up not being productive. <laughs> um, so like I said, it was definitely a big learning year for me to, uh, more or less not be able to rely on teammates cause we didn't have much, um, outdoors, especially, so definitely a learning experience trying to to give the right feedback so that they can make the right changes and it translates to to uh better results because even we made some big changes actually right after colorado i was in california came back to east coast and i spent two weeks in charlotte and we made big changes to the chassis and then um but the thing was they were such big changes that it actually took a while for me to like get used to them (laughs) and for it to translate um to the races too so Redbud DNF aside, that was the big breakthrough moment for the summer. What was it about that day that everything kind of came to be? New package, you knowing everything was good to go, and just getting the chance to get good starts. Um, yeah, so I think it was after High Point WW. We had we got a new engine setting, and huge props to Dean and, and Mitchell and the guys for in the engine department. They really found some some more horsepower there, um, and we were still kind of figuring out like chassis stuff and even like tire stuff with Pirelli, um, at WW. So like I was a little bit better at WW, but not where we wanted to be. And then at Southwick, um, well, and on top of that, so I'm like down in Florida, I'm riding with Kenny and Adam and chase during the week at Moto sandbox. And, um, and there was actually like quite a few times during the week where I was faster than Adam and chase. Um, and so for me, that was actually mentally very uplifting because I was like definitely in need of some positive vibes <laughs> yeah. at that point in the year. And so I was like, okay, like we're, we're getting close. I think our setting is really good. And so from, from WW on, we didn't really change a whole lot, just kind of clicker changes here and there, like going in the right direction. And Southwick, I thought we were really close to where, um, other than I had a, ter- a crash in the first turn, or actually first lap, and it came from like outside the top 30 to the 10th or something like that so Southwick is looking better and then Redbud really was where, where it all turned around but um, I think we were going in the right direction for the couple races leading up to Redbud um, and Redbud the thing that helped us there is like we just got both full shots that day um, you know and and that obviously I think that's where people started noticing like okay whatever JJR is doing to these Suzuki's we're making a lot of progress so um, it was pretty exciting to finally, you know, get out front, lead some laps, and get some hole shots for the for the JJR Suzuki guys. And I, I got to say, coming into Redbud, I for sure, like, I would have not bet money that I was going to pull both hole shots that day. <laughs> yeah, you know, so just to do that's that, a unique yeah. one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and just you know, it's no secret that the Suzuki 250 doesn't put out the most horsepower in the class, but to be hole shotting uh, a 250 class at a pro national is is no easy feat by any means so it was pretty cool to be able to to do that both motos and then even at millville we had good starts there and um other than the dnf first moto red by which was more or less just a fluke thing the the hose clamp on the radiator came loose and yeah with like a couple like basically well not even a couple it was literally three corners to go the the bike just overheated and shut off but 
um, if it hadn't been for that moto, we would have had four straight moto podiums. So mm-hmm. I'd say that was I was pretty pumped on that. Happy for the team. So when you when you're let's go back like a couple seasons when you're about to exit Troy Lee Designs Red Bull KTM and you know you're going to JGR and Myrtle like Lucas Myrtle your agent is helping navigate that whole deal. Is it weird for you to think, like, I'm going to leave maybe the fastest bike with the most research and data behind it to go to almost an unproven platform with a new team and knowing, like, hey, the bike's, like, a little bit slower? Were you apprehensive on that at all, or did you just, like, know, hey, the JGR guys are committed to this. I know whatever we get is going to be good. Um, You know, I I guess at the end of the day, I'd like to think that um, I feel like I can win races and be competitive on whatever bike I race. And, um, you know, but having said that it is, you sometimes take for granted, um, like maybe how good the Yamaha, the star bike was and how good the TLD bike was. Um, cause there was definitely a time there with, with JJR Suzuki, we, we were definitely, uh, outnumbered and outmanned, <laughs> you know, and we definitely, I think we figured it out in the end, like, like we were just talking about, but, um, it was definitely pretty tough for sure to, to go um, away from KTM at first, I mean, that was the place where I wanted to stay for a long time. Um, but at the end of the day, they had a lot of amateur kids coming up there, up the pipeline. Um, you know, they had Falk, Cantrell, Derek Drake, uh, Pierce Brown. So they had, they had hired a lot of guys kind of in the same similar age category. And so it really just didn't leave any room for me. Um, and I was actually surprised, too, especially being like basically second overall runner up the last couple of years in the outdoor series. Um, so I definitely felt like I was very thankful and grateful for my JJR contract and that they reached out, um, and gave me a two year deal. And I kind of definitely felt like I had a point to prove that no matter what bike I'm on, I can be competitive and, and get good results. And, um, and honestly, the JJR guys is such a good, great group of people that, uh, it feels good to get them results. Mm-hmm. A couple years ago, you and I did a feature that was in Transworld Motocross, and it was right as you were coming into your own. I want to say it was while you were at Cycle Trader or had just come into Star. It was something around that point, but it's as you're finally becoming a mark. You know, you're in the mix for top fives and podiums in the 250 class outdoors. For a guy that has been in your position for so long, and you look back at that, what has been like the breakthrough that has made you become a contender for, you know, a podium finish every weekend and then on the overall season, a championship? Um, I guess starting off, like it's, it's kind of surreal really to look back. And uh, I mean, this was my 11th season and it feels like almost another lifetime ago when I was moving out to California to, in, in 2009, riding for like Ty Lube, Storm Lake Honda, <laughs> doing West Coast, yeah. only qualified. I think it was the first year, the same year the Cole Sealy turned pro and he was on the Fun Center Suzuki team. So, it just feels like another lifetime ago, literally. Like I almost, I only made like two or three mains, and then to go from that to, you know, eleven, ten mods, and like be consistent top ten, but never really a title threat. Um, and then now to have been, you know, runner up second in the series, and and been competitive, and have you know almost two dozen podiums, and and it's just kind of, it's kind of wild. Um, you know, I always felt like I I worked my ass off for for every bit of it for sure, and. Um, you know, kind of just, I guess the, the same old case of, if, you know, what you put in and what, whatever you reap, you sell type of thing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely awesome to now be in a position to where I can be going for wins and titles and, 
and on factory teams because there was a long portion of my career where I never thought I'd get on a factory team. I remember mm-hmm. before I got on, I mean, because really the, the Rock River Cycle Trader team was that was my breakout year in 2015. But, you know, I had been consistently a top 10 guy, like indoors and out and occasionally top five results and i just remember thinking like what is it going to (laughs) take like what is it going to take for me to get a ride and it it really took winning outdoor nationals on a privateer yamaha and getting a couple podiums in supercross to where i finally finally got um, my factory ride with star you know and then at that time not really realizing how good that yamaha was but it was just i remember like winning some races in 2016 and battling with Cooper, my brother, and I was just like, this is so easy. <laughs> yeah, It just felt like way too easy to be like winning races and getting on the podium just because that bike was so good at that time. So, yeah, definitely a long road. And, um, you know, I don't know if I'd do it again, but I will say I'm very appreciative and definitely busted my ass to, to get to where I am now, though, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I remember like one of the most uh, memorable Alex Martin moments to me is when you ghost rode your bike in the mechanics area. What was it, at Tampa Supercross? Nah. Oh, yeah. Highlights. <laughs> or no, that was Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah Jacksonville. Yeah. Supercross, 2011. Yeah. Um, or actually, it might be 2010. I can't I remember. It 20... No, 2011. Was it? It was on a yeah. Honda, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first year on 1110. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Going back to what you said, though, now that you're based at the Moto Sandbox, you have Adam and Ken and Chase to work off of. Now that you have everything there and you have such a good crew of guys that are of the same pace does that make things easier because every day you see hey i am a top three guy every single day it's a constant reminder of what you are yeah i mean i just think in this day and age um with the way motocross supercross is elevated um you have to be riding and training with people that are close in speed or faster than you um and that was one thing being a baker's factory train with tyla having shane and and um you know, it's Osborne and Marv and, and all those guys right there to practice with. And then now going over to Sandbox and kind of having a similar, similar program to where those guys are, you, you know, you, you get no slack on race day or on practice day. You know, Adam, Chase, Kenny, they're all, all uh, you know, we have enough of an ego to where we don't necessarily want the other guy to beat us during the week. And, I mean, you could ask any one of them, but, I mean, if we're out there practicing by ourselves versus practicing with these with each other, we're probably two seconds a lap faster, you know just like innately you just don't want the guy to beat you <laughs> yeah you know so it definitely helps to be pushing that envelope and i think i've really gotten to the point where every time we ride it's quality you know it's if there's a purpose behind it it's quality and you're pushing pushing the pace and just trying to trying to get faster on the on the motorcycle so hey the unique thing about you guys at the sandbox is you have john wessling as your trainer off the bike ken and adam have blake savage chase does too is it how do you guys formulate all of those programs and get them to work together or is the on the bike stuff and off the bike stuff completely separate um well that's the nice thing with john is we we have a program where you know my off the bike program's not taking away from on the bike so you know my gym sessions and cardio sessions morning warm-ups whatever it may be um all kind of cater around making sure that i and fresh or, or ready to go for motos on supercross you know whether it's sprints motos starts whatever it may be um but we all even though our gym programs and off the bike i guess programs are different um we we try and work with each other for sure on on the track and um especially for outdoors we do a lot of a lot of the 30 minute motos we try and do it all together 
you know. Um, we're in Supercross. It's maybe not quite as cohesive just because, you know, Adam may be doing four or five lappers and I'm doing eight two-lap sprints or something like that. And you don't necessarily always need someone on your ass for two laps, you know. Um, whereas if you're doing a 20-lapper in Supercross, for sure you want to plan that out to where you can do a moto with someone. Um, you know, and, it, and I guess it got kind of tricky this summer because there was, there was points of the year where, you know, Ken's struggling with some illness stuff and um, Chase was uh, dealing with heat stroke or heat exhaustion from WW. So a lot of times me and Adam just kind of uh, teamed up and did our motos together. Um, whereas in Supercross, it's, yeah, it just depends. I guess sometimes, you know, they're on the West Coast. So, yeah, there's a lot of logistics involved for sure. But I guess at the end of the day, we try to ride and plan our structures as much as we can together. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back from this, we're going to get into the topic that everybody wants to know about, which is... 2020 with JGR and where that stands right now. So give these commercials a listen. Fast forward because we know you're going to do that anyway. When you come back, we'll talk with Alex about this. Hi, this is Dean Wilson from the Rockstar Energy Husqvarna factory racing team. Right now, Husqvarna Motorcycles has many different incentives to put you on the bike of your dreams. Visit an authorized Husqvarna Motorcycles dealer to take advantage of limited time offers on the innovative street models, versatile dual sports, and even competitive minis for the kids. Check out Husqvarna-Motorcycles.com slash offers to learn more today. For over six decades, Scott Motorsports has pushed the limits of innovation, providing our customers with the most advanced technology available. Scott is honored to be the exclusive eyewear sponsor of the Swap Moto Live podcast. Athletes such as Chad Reed, Justin Barsha, and myself, Adam Cientrillo, require the best performance, which is why we choose the Scott Prospect Goggle. Recognized as the number one goggle in racing, Scott is proud to be made in the USA. Check out scott-sports.com to see their complete line of high-performance goggles. Hey guys, Hunter Lawrence here. Lately I've been spending a whole lot of time at the mountain bike trails in the local area on my intense primer and the thing's badass. For how good it is going up the hill, it's uh, amazing coming down the hill. It's uh, comfortable, nimble, and it doesn't feel uh, like you're going to go over the bars every five seconds. Uh, all their bikes in their lineup are awesome. So, yeah, you're ready to get serious about training on a cross-country bike or crushing lap times at your local trails. Or if you want to go a bit further, longer, and faster, they, they just brought out a new Taser e-bike, which is, uh, yeah, everyone's given the double thumbs up on. So. Head down to your local Intense dealer or, or purchase uh, directly at IntenseCycles.com. Check it out, guys. What's up? This is Christian Craig. As a motocross racer, being in top physical shape is a must, and my favorite way to train is cycling. And whether it's road biking or mountain biking, I rely on Roy Cyclery to keep my bikes in perfect running order. Roy Cyclery has been servicing Old Town Upland, California since 1962. Mention the Swap Moto Live podcast for additional discounts in the shop. What's up, Swap Moto fans? The Toyota Escondido Action Sports team supports some of the biggest racers in the sport, like Aaron Plessinger, Shane McElrath, Dean Wilson, Axel Hodges, Colt Nichols, Brian Deegan, and more. With over two decades of supporting racers, we've become known as the place to buy a Toyota truck in Southern California. Toyota Escondido is a proud sponsor of the Swap Moto Live Show, and all you have to do to get the best deal on a quality Toyota truck is mention the show and tell them you want the Action Sports Special. 
Check us out online at toyotaescondido.com for more. Writers like Justin Cooper, Don Ferrandis, Eli Tomac, Adam Inchingnap, Josh Hansen, and more partner with Works Chassis Lab for engine mounts and other special parts to add comfort to and enhance the handling characteristics of their bikes. With championships and race wins to prove it, Works Chassis Lab Parts provides the winning edge. Visit WorksChassisLab.com for more information. Alright, hey guys, so we're back. Thanks for listening. So yeah, we'll just hit the topic right at hand. Alex, you have a two-year contract with Suzuki and JGR. And as everybody knows right now, the team is going in through a big transition period. There was a lot of layoffs right before the Nationals this year. The team was huge, and then it shrank down to Freddie Norin, um, you, and Kyle Peters, and it just went to a three-guy deal. It got even smaller than that, than that as the summer went on, or as the offseason went on, I'm sorry. Um, you know, Isaac Teasdale was there through the Cherokee connection, which everybody knows about, and there was talk that that was going to come on and be a title sponsor and be the saving grace. But now here we are last week of October, and kind of seems like we're in another situation where there's some uncertainty. For you being the guy with the two-year deal, what's been going on? You know, you have been riding. You just went up to North Carolina a few weeks ago. Where does the team stand? Um, yeah, so like you said, the, the two-year deal um, – kind of makes me uh it puts me in a different situation i guess than the other guys and you know more or less selfishly i guess i i'm okay right now i mean um i just spent two weeks up in charlotte testing with the team and we had a pirelli tire test for two days where we went through uh, an ungodly amount of tires (laughs) and um yeah more or less we were kind of just getting a jump start on the 2020 season and i mean i'm actually just stoked and really pumped on the uh the platform that we have starting off for, for next year. I mean, we're horsepower wise and, and chassis wise, like we're head and heels above where we were last year at this time. So, um, you know, as far as that goes, I guess like selfishly, um, we're, I feel like we're doing really well right now. Um, and one thing too, I guess is with the team is we have had, you know, um, Johnny Oler, he, he decided to kind of start his own company. And so he, he ended up quitting and then, uh, ben went to go work for Reed, and then yes, some guys like Basher went over to the cup shop shop. So we we definitely had some people, um, you know, quit or decide to go in a different yeah. direction. Mm, sorry. Oh no, you're but, fine. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but all yeah, so it's, all things mm-hmm. considered, right now, like the plan is go racing in 2020. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So what I was gonna say is like coming from star and tld i guess those were smaller the staff and personnel that those teams employed was definitely a little bit smaller so um you know going over to jager last year i was actually surprised just with how how many people they had on the team already how many were people were employed so even having let go of some few people like i would say the team still employs more people than they had at you know tld or star so mm-hmm. so with you i mean having a two-year contract and knowing I'm locked into some sort of support. That was the saving grace through everything, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, like this year at one time, I think we had oh, maybe almost seven riders and there was two semis and, you know, at, at, at Supercross, there was two semis. So, um, you know, even if it is a situation where there's just one semi, two two riders, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're JJR still going racing. Um, and yeah, I still feel like we have the potential to, to be going for wins and, and championships next year. For you, I mean, this is big. 
this is the first time that you've had a multi-year contract and it's become such a crucial part of your career now. You know, this if, if you don't have that contract, you're kind of going to be one of those guys that's left in the cold for 2020. I mean, in all ways, shapes, and forms, this is the best contract that you've ever had because it gives you some sense of security for next year and then on after that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I mean, and for sure, it sucks. I mean, I would love to have, you know, uh, a bunch of guys as my teammates, and, and I wish that they could figure out a title sponsor to, you know, to where we could have more guys racing. I mean, I think it's it sucks with this sport that there's – it seems to be hard – in this day and age, especially, it seems to be hard for, for these teams to be getting sponsors and to go racing. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's it's not good for the sport if you if you have a team like JGR that isn't at the races just because there's that's a whole slew of riders that aren't lining up. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, I'd like to think that the sport could get more sponsors and, and get more um, factory rides available. But, um, yeah, I guess that remains to be seen. <laughs> when you... Uh... When you're reading online, and I know you don't follow, like, the message boards and all that other stuff, but obviously, like, you have some sort of insight or hear what's going on in the media. And when you see these things of, like, hey, we don't know what JGR is going to do next year, does that give you concern? Or you seeing the way everything is handled day to day, you're like, well, is that something I don't know about and I'm confident in it? Like, is it weird to see all of this speculation? Um, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's weird. I'd say it's kind of comical. Because <laughs> you know um, what's like really literally, happening. Well, it was like, like a couple weeks ago, I'm on a JGR, we're, we're testing and like having a great test day with myself and the team. And, um, I'm getting a text from my dad saying, Hey, on vital, there's uh people saying that JGR is shutting down or JGR is done. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm out here testing right now and the track is bitching and the bike is bitching. <laughs> and there's about 15 people of JGR out here with me. Um, so I don't know, to me, it's like, you know, rumors, speculation, gossip, whatever you want to call it. Like, I, I, I guess for me, everything's kind of just going as, as normal. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> I don't know much else to say, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, we're, we're working. <laughs> I still have a paycheck that hits every couple of weeks. Like there's no issue there, but then you have to see all this other stuff and probably just be like, where do these people pull these ideas from? Because there's some people that are very informed and there's other people that are not informed that put stuff out there and it just makes complete messes of everything. Um, yeah. When Coy and J-Bone came up with that program, it was innovative in so many ways. You know, Jeremy and Coy wanted everybody to be on the East Coast. They wanted a team trainer. They had a private track. They had all these things that at the time everybody questioned and now 10 years on. That's the way that KTM and Husqvarna have gone with Alden and putting everybody at the Baker's factory in Florida. So they were on to something early on. For you, how has it been to be in North Carolina every so often, completely disconnected from the California scene that everybody thought you had to be a part of? Uh, I mean, that. so that's the cool thing is, um, honestly, until I was on JGR, I didn't really realize it. But, I mean, this program is, is an absolutely badass program to be a part of. Um, and especially for me living in, in Claremont, Florida, I mean, I can hop on a plane, fly from Orlando to Charlotte. Um, I found one way flights for like 25 to 40 bucks, you know? And so I've actually, wow. Wow. yeah, like, and so, and it's an hour flight. So, I mean, I've been bouncing back and forth between Florida and Charlotte, um, quite a bit, actually more than I would probably care to admit, um, for the last year for testing and stuff. And that's, what's convenient is, you know, when I was in, so when I lived in Florida and I was on TLD, I'd fly to California and that's a whole day. 
the whole day gone to just flying, you know, whereas now I can fly up there in the morning, test um, Monday through Friday, and then fly back Friday. So if I need be. So, um, and then when I'm up there, you know, they have the, at the NASCAR cup shop, they have a state of the art gym where, I mean, honestly, I think Coy's, Coy's passion is just collecting exercise equipment because <laughs> he, he has there, that gym has so much, so much, uh, like state of the art science, technology, whatever it is in there. So it's really cool to have that in your pocket. And then the, the cup shop or, or, um, or the motocross shop is right there. And, um, I'm actually lucky my buddy Phil lets me crash on his couch when I'm up there. So, um, it's just a convenient program to have the gym and the track and everything right there. And for testing it, it makes it fun. When they started the team, there was a lot of trial and error. Uh, Koi really wanted to take all of his technology and all of his assets from NASCAR and just apply it to motocross. I remember when they made their own sh- suspension and shocks and stuff like that. And they figured out, hey, this doesn't work. We have to get away from it and go into a more traditional sense. Are there still things that they're trying to pull from one another? Like, is there some NASCAR stuff or some training that you guys are taking on? And then is there stuff they're learning from motocross that they're applying over there? Um, Yeah, I wouldn't say it. And right now, I haven't seen, like, too much of a crossover. Like, I think, for the most part, they're very separate. They're very separate in terms of the cup shop, NASCAR side, the motocross. But... Um, for sure there's, there's cool things where, you know, say I need a, some triple clamps made or a set of foot pegs or, um, subframe, whatever it is, like they're able to make that stuff over the cup shop, which I think is kind of convenient and pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I've gotten a tour of the cup shop and it's like the amount of (laughs) money and stuff they have, like CNC machines, there's like 30 CNC machines and, you know, those things aren't cheap. Like the amount of things that they can do in the cup shop, basically building a car from the ground up is pretty impressive. Um, and that definitely only benefits the motocross side, just having that available. Is it weird for you to meet Coach Gibbs or fly in the private plane or anything like that? Or have you not had a bunch of those experiences because you've been in Florida? Yeah, I, I haven't really been able to. I can't say that I've flown in the private jet yet. Um, but I will say with Koi... Um, I guess with his brother JD passing away and he's kind of had to take on more of the NASCAR side of things, um, more responsibility. So I don't really see Coy or coach as much just because of the, they're busy with the NASCAR side of things and, you know, J bone and bud man and the guys are they're They keep the motocross thing going pretty smoothly. So yeah, they're definitely very separate entities though. Mm-hmm. Um, through all of this uncertainty that's happened through Suzuki and JGR in these last few months, there have been a lot of public people, people not that they matter, but they're still voicing their opinion on a forum that want J-Bone to be removed from his spot because they don't think he's worthy of it. Uh, and I don't agree yeah. with that. I think J-Bone is awesome. Uh, I mean, A, he gives amazing interviews. B, he's been a part of that thing from the start, and he has everybody's best intentions at heart. You know, he didn't mm-hmm. want to fire the people that he did. He tried to reassign them and pay them out as much as he could up, up until it was over. And as a guy that works underneath him, you obviously see everything that's going on. What What's happening is not the fault of J-Bone, right? It's just circumstances that he's dealing with. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I haven't really heard much of that. I guess that's news to me. But, um, yeah, I guess that's part of being team manager of a team is you kind of need to make tough decisions, and um, not everyone's going to agree with that. But, yeah, I don't know if there's not much else I can say there. It's going to yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I gossip it. or rumors. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then kind of 
we'll start wrapping this up because it's been a good 30 minutes and you've explained and touched on everything that everybody needs to know about. Like, yeah, you're going racing next year. What do you expect? I mean, is this going to be the Alex Martin is in the hunt for a championship again? Like, I mean, do you feel that? Or is it going to be like, hey, we're just going to get there and see how it shakes out? And do you know what which coast you want to race? Anything like that? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm definitely planning on racing East Coast 250 and outdoors 250 but um you know having said that i will say that i'm it's kind of a make or break year for me i feel that i need to be going for championships and race wins and for sure um trying to more or less just get the job done because um I'm not getting any younger you know i'm gonna be 30 coming up here pretty soon and um at the end of the day my my whole career has been spent in 250 class and um i know i don't have much time left but i really would like to to make that jump to the 450 class one day. And I feel like you, I mean, really the only way to do that is you have to be, um, winning championships. You know, there's been a lot of guys that have moved up, um, from the 250 class and pretty much it's only because they've won championships in the 250 class. So, um, yeah, ultimately that's the goal. And I mean, I, I love JGR and I love where I'm at. I love the team and, and I would like to hopefully make that jump to the 450 class with them one day. Um, so yeah, this, I feel like this is kind of a make or break year. I will say I do have, I think I am eligible for like two more years of Supercross, 250 Supercross, but, um, I would like to move up before I see the end of that. <laughs> have you spent much time on a 450? Um, I practice on a 450 quite a bit. Um, I have on the Yamaha and KTM and, and now on Suzuki, I've spent quite a bit of time on a 450. So that's, um, you know, obviously I feel pretty comfortable on one during the week. I know it's a little bit different racing one, but, um, so yeah, I like the 450. <laughs> okay, cool. I got two more questions for you and then we'll let you go on this. Um, for people close to you, these last few weeks have been huge. Your brother comes back from over a year off with injury yeah. <clears throat> last weekend. So how was that to see him finally be back on the starting line? Oh yeah, that was so cool. I was, I was very excited for him. Um, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's been such a long road. It was almost uh, just, yeah, it was weird, <laughs> for lack of a better word. It was weird to see him out there, like, on the start line and racing. And uh, last Saturday, I remember, like, looking at practice lap times, and he was, like, P6 or something, and I was actually, like, blown away because he, he just started. He got back on the bike in August, and then he rode. He basically just rode outdoors August, September, and then I think he had maybe two weeks on a Supercross track, 450, riding with Eli up in Cortez, Colorado. And he just decided to go race Monster Cups, like on a whim, more or less. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for him to be, you know, battling in the top five. And granted, I know that the class wasn't uh, as, as stiff competition-wise as it has been in years past. But, like, just to see him racing again in that environment, uh, I thought that was really cool. Cool. Other big news was Phil claiming $100,000 mm-hmm. Canadian money. But that was huge, finally a huge payday for him. For yeah. you guys, I mean, you've been so close, and you went through a lot of the same struggles together at the same time, and now about the same time in your career, both of you guys are coming into your own. So how has it been to watch Phil through all of this? Is he still miserable? Has the money changed him yet? Yeah. Uh, no, Phil's had a good year. Financially, Phil has had a good year, um, and he is maybe a little happier. Um, I don't know. That's That's up for debate, but I will say – that um no it's cool like i mean him and i we've you know we've both we've paid our dues and we've been at the bottom of the barrel and been overlooked many many times been the underdog and for him to go up to canada in his first year and get a title um 
you know, and, and even in the Supercross series. <laughs> that's right. kind of a big deal. It's very cool. It's cool to see him with the number one plate, and I, I'm pumped for him that he was able to pull through and get it done. Well, okay, as you've mentioned and as you just said now, like you've went through your share of struggles and setbacks and not great teams and other things. Why did you stay? I mean, you could have easily just been like, yeah, I'm done. I can go do something else. I can move back home. I could find another outlet in my life. What kept you racing through all of that stuff? You, you're talking back to like the, you I mean, know, yeah, like back in the day. Years. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could have easily just been like, Hey, this isn't working out. I'm not getting the attention that I feel I deserve or the support. I'm just fighting an uphill battle all the time and I could stop. What made yeah. you decide like, yeah, I'm just going to stay in it and see what happens. I think in 2014, I was probably about as close as I was going to get to, to quitting. Um, you know, at the time, I think I'd been training at Club of Max, and I was just tired and burnt out. And, you know, I was, like, really not getting any sort of salary whatsoever. And I was still, like, pretty consistent top 10. And uh, But I always just felt like I, I had, like, a feeling like I was, you know, capable of more or, like, if I could just get support, um, and it was, it you know, at the end of the day, it was really close. Like, it wasn't like I was just finishing 20th or something. Like, I was I was right in the mix, mm-hmm. and I just kind of felt like I, I was, you know, I was going to do something good one day. And, uh, I mean, luckily, I'm glad I stayed in it, you know. Um, I just, I guess it's hard to, like, just kind of throw in the towel, too, when you're when you are that close. But... You know, there was definitely some moments of despair for sure, <laughs> but yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I was still. It was, uh, yeah, definitely tough times, but I'm glad we stayed in it. Yeah, it has to make all of everything that's gone on these last two or three years even more rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But they, there was definitely times where I was like, "Fuck, what more do I have to do?" <laughs> oh, dude, trust me. Uh, after seeing some of the things that you guys went through, I'm just like, what, what are they doing? Like, why are they doing this? I felt so bad so many times because you could see that it was there. And then that one moto win that first time you did, I'm like, okay, yeah, he really does have it. I'm sure that had to feel really sweet to cross the finish line in the mud at Bud's Creek and have everything happen the way it did. And, and now look at you. I mean, you're Amart. You're the guy. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Hey buddy. Thank you for getting on the phone with us. I'm glad everybody listened. Uh, I can't wait to see you Tampa. Tampa Supercross, maybe Anaheim one. We'll figure it out from there. Maybe I even have a trip down to Florida or North Carolina soon, and we'll we'll come check you guys out. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to have you, Anton. Hi, right, buddy. But, well, yeah, thanks, thanks for thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm glad that we finally got to put everything to rest. That yeah, you will be on the starting line on a yellow bike next year. Yep. Yeah. JGR is uh, going as smoothly as ever. So yeah, yeah I don't know what to tell those people on Vital. Sorry. Sorry. That's okay. I mean, you told them the truth, and that's what—that's the most important thing. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, we'll let you get after it. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Anton. Thanks, buddy. See ya. See ya.